Today, we talk about capturing the action on Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, as always, thank you for joining us at Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, your host. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all those stories and challenges that happen in between. If you are a podcast fan, there are a number of different ways that you can subscribe to Behind the Shot, and please do subscribe. It helps in many different ways. First of all, if you go to the website, behindtheshot.tv, all the buttons are there for you to subscribe in any manner that you wish. Plus, the video is on the website as well. If you are a YouTube fan, you, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's Behind the Shot on YouTube, and the video is there. And if you prefer to use a podcast app, if you have an app you like, I use RSS Radio. I love it. My app subs, uh, supports video as well as audio. So if you are a podcast fan and your app supports video, the podcast is available in two different feeds. You can subscribe to the audio-only version. It's a little bit difficult because we are talking about a photograph. Or you can subscribe to the video version of the show as well. As always, the show notes for this show and every show that we do here at Behind the Shot, those show notes are on the website with the appropriate episode, behindtheshot.tv, and today will be no different. In fact, for each and every guest that I have, that blog post also includes a small gallery of their work. So my guest today, you can go check out some of his and his wife's work as well if you go to the website. I do also want to remind you of the shows that I'm doing at the beginning of each month with Don Komarechka. If you don't know Don... He does the Photo Geek Weekly podcast, and he is a macro genius. He's got a new book coming out, too. But we are doing critique shows, and those are only happening on my YouTube channel, Behind the Shot on YouTube. They're live streamed at the beginning of each month. If you follow us on social media, you can find out all the details. But here's a quick synopsis. Go to Flickr and join Flickr. It can be the free account. You don't have to pay. Once you're a Flickr member, join the Behind the Shot group on Flickr and start submitting your pictures. And if you submit a picture to the Behind the Shot group on Flickr and it is tagged BTS Critique, then it's in the pool for us to choose from for the uh, critique shows. And that brings us up to today. And I'm actually really excited about today because I first met this gentleman and his wife at WPPI. They were kind enough to do an interview with me on my, my WPPI recap. I interviewed a lot of Canon Explorers of Light that day that I was there. And then I ended up having dinner with them that night. And they're just really, really wonderful people. And today we've got one half of the pair. Bob Davis, how are you? I'm doing well. Hey, Steve, how are you? Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you and your wife at WPPI. It was a WPI, WPPI is one of our favorite shows for Don and I because it's a way of connecting with old friends and meeting new ones. Yeah, and, and I actually think, you know, I want to ask you this now that I think about it before we get into anything else. This was one of the better WPPIs to me. It was clearly slower, but it was busier, I think, than the year before. But there was something about the social game this year that everybody was really connected. Did you feel different about this year? Indeed. You know, when we got back, I started just going through some old photographs and WPPIs from 2005, 2006, 2007. And they were that smaller type of show when it was back at uh, Bally's. And it was that same kind of feel because people were more connected. It wasn't as spread out. And you were able to have more time together, so to speak. So, yeah, it felt very much like the community was stronger this year than I would say in the last three years. 
Yeah, I had that same feeling. I really, I got to say, I really, really enjoyed this one. And we didn't get sick while we were there, which was actually a really good thing. So let's talk about you a little bit. I mentioned Canon Explorers of Light. You are a Canon Explorer of Light. But before we even get into credentials and stuff, I want to talk about you and your wife. You are you are one half. We'll let you two decide which is the better half, right? You're one half of the photography team, Bob and Don Davis. It's Bob and Don Davis Photography and Design. And you guys are Chicagoland area, correct? Yes, we are. We're based in Chicago, born and raised here. I've been a photographer my entire life. Dawn's background is accounting, but she's always had a creative side. So she has that wonderful balance between left brain, right brain. And she really is the glue that makes sure that, you know, the lights stay on because I would do this for free. I enjoy it so much and it's my passion. But she makes sure that we establish our value and the business is running really well and she's amazing at design. So she does all of our final retouching and design work on our fine art wedding books. And, and that's really the base of it, right? Wedding photography. And then she does the design work, kind of runs the business side of things as well. She was, she had some great points during our interview, by the way, folks, go check out the WPPI recap I did and you'll see the interview with Bob and Don. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful people. But as we were talking that day, a couple of things came out about your photography business and kind of kind of the direction that you're moving. And the primary focus, at least up until now, has always been wedding photography. That's really your base business model. Yes. And when I looked at your client list, it's literally a who's who. Eva Longoria and Tony Parker. Uh, Tracy Edmonds and Eddie Murphy, the bachelorette Ashley's wedding to JP. I had a friend who was the set photographer for the bachelor actually. So you've done, you've done some really, really big names. I, I, before we get into more of your credentials, when you do a famous couple like that, Carmelo Anthony and his wife, when you do a famous couple like that, is there a different mental approach to you when you walk into that reception or to that wedding than if it's, you know, John and Cindy Smith? That's a great question. Is there a different approach? There really isn't. It goes back to, we'll call it my first career in photojournalism. And I was hired by an old school photographer at the Chicago Sun-Times, Bob Katalik. And the day I started there, he gave me my first assignment and he said, kid, come back with a good picture or don't come back at all. You know, your name goes underneath every photograph, so sign your work with excellence. So that hit home for me, and for whatever reason, that always resonates in my mind. So it's once-in-a-lifetime moments, photojournalism, that you're trying to be the eyes and ears for the reader. So I just carry that forward into all of our weddings and events. People put a lot of effort and thought. They dream about this wedding. They're on this journey to pick every little detail, and there's an emotional connection to it. So one wedding is no more important than another. To me, they're all equally important. I enjoy them so much because of that pinnacle pressure, that this is all, all these emotions are mounting to one day, the same as it would be an NBA finals or major league baseball championships or spot news happening or a city council political change of power in Chicago when we had a mayor die and transition of power and right. all that kind of stuff. So all those emotions for me come into every day that we're photographing. 
you said an interesting thing, the guy from the Chicago Sun-Times that said to you, you know, you're, when you were talking about your name appears under every picture, and there's a line there that I love. Sign your work with excellence. That's a, that, that in and of itself is a tagline that should be remembered. Sign your work with excellence. I like that. You guys have been published in People, OK, O Magazine, In Style, Inside Weddings, Modern Luxury Brides, Professional Photographer, Rangefinders. The list goes on and on, right? Grace Orman, Popular Photography. When, when you guys are at the level that you are, is there anything still that makes you go, oh, I didn't see that coming, right? I mean, you've oh, been doing this for so long. There has to be a point where, can you really anticipate everything? Probably not. No, you can't anticipate everything. You could prepare yourself as best as possible. With any genre that you're going to photograph, if it's baseball, if it's news, if it's politics, if it's editorial, weddings and events, there's a certain framework that's always going to happen, right? So weddings, you have three acts. You have the preparation, you have the ceremony, then you have the celebration. So within those three acts, you know certain things are going to happen. So the more questions you ask your couple, which we ask a lot of questions, the more prepared I could be to not chase the moment, but be prepared for the moment. Now, of course, you got to be flexible to pivot because of emotion and spontaneity, which is everything. So you can't be so rigid and your lighting so structured to one center point that if something over here happens, you miss it. So you kind of got to survey the playing field, just like Major League Baseball. You know, there's always going to be a play at second play at second base, so you could have a double play. Right. So you know, even the older lenses, manual focus, you could set a preset with the quick focus ring, and boom, second base is always in focus. While you're watching other areas, you have your second eye open. Boom, you could see where the ball might go once it's off the bat, and you react to it. And I never want to. And that's chase actually the another. Yeah, want to be and that's actually, the by the way, another huge tip to me is keep your second eye open. Like yeah. in live music, a singer's in front of me or a guitarist is in front of me. Keeping the second eye open lets me know that the singer just jumped in the crowd, right? That alone, that's kind of what gets you to the, again, to the level that you're at. You are a Westcott Top Pro Elite. You're a SanDisk uh, Extreme Team member, Pro Media Gear Influencer. You've got all this stuff going, and then going back to, to your partner, Don, you guys, I didn't know this when we talked in Vegas. You guys are authors. You have two different books. Yes. Uh, Lights, Camera, Capture. That's one of them. It is, and We're Engaged is the second. I'm really proud of Lights, Camera, Capture. It was pushing that boundary of line of sight and right at the cusp of radio poppers for breaking the barrier for line of sight. It was pre 600 EXRTs, but still what you could do with off-camera flash and, and just line of sight, because back in the old days, I was using Vivitar 283s and Peanut Slaves or a 20-foot sync cord. So this just opened up a whole new world of freedom and possibilities for me. And with the book, we worked with Wiley Publishing. We created an app that was very interactive. So we would record videos and interactive videos so that you could actually use your finger on the app and slide it back and forth and see depth of field and exposure changing. So it was pre 
apps like Exposure that's out there, so you could see that kind of stuff. So it was, it was very cutting edge at that time, and there was a DVD included in the book. So we were hitting all those surfaces of visual, auditory, and reading, having the physical book to hold. And, and we're engaged was just a, a, a more simple, refined approach, taking photographs and distilling them down and sharing the approach with lighting and settings. You know, because while technology today is outstanding and it gets you in the ballpark, it's what do you do when the technology isn't giving you the result that you want? And that's where a lot of photographers then scramble and they panic and they miss moments is because now they're trying to make the camera do something that they're unfamiliar with. And you never want to do that in the field on assignment. Okay, so looking farther down what you do, it's more than just photography because, again, the way that I met you was at WPPI. You were speaking on the stage at Canon. Uh, I actually saw you guys a couple of times. I saw you and Don on stage with Roberto Valenzuela and somebody else, I can't remember who, doing a panel. And then I saw a... Who was it? Michelle Salentano. Okay. And then I also saw you guys doing your own presentation. So I'm kind of curious... When when you are in education mode and you're speaking for Canon or, you know, you're doing your, your workshops to Africa that you do now, does your mentality change when you switch from behind the camera to in front of a microphone? That's a great question. And I really haven't given it much thought. It, it, it really doesn't because... Don and I both have this passion to not just dump information on people, but to give them the tools to help lift them higher. So sometimes I seem like a technical photographer, but I'm, I'm really not. But what works for me is a simple approach. So the more I understand how something works, the more the equipment and the gear gets out of the way and allows me to get the end result that I'm seeing. So I'm not lucky enough to be in a studio or a controlled setting where I have two assistants and one of them sets the camera up and I just shoot away. That's the big challenge with being live action, photographing concerts, wildlife, weddings and events especially, is you're given a set of challenges for the light and the environment that you're in. And it's how to create the best possible photograph and the best possible light without missing the moment. So once you distill all that information down and, and I share that and Don shares that with people that come for our workshop is lay a foundation of whatever is working for you and then own it and exploit it and do it over and over and over again. You know, because I was blessed enough to photograph Michael Jordan's entire career, I learned a lot from him. I worked at the smaller newspaper in Chicago, the Sun-Times, and our competition was the Chicago Tribune, which had a huge, ginormous photo staff. So they would send three, four, five photographers to a Bulls game. We would send one, sometimes two, for the finals three. So what it does is if Michael Jordan is up on the floor two hours before everybody else practicing, I got to be there. Because literally one time he did hit his toe and they thought it was broken and he was questionable for a game. I had that photograph because it was three hours before practice, right? So that becomes a story. So over the course of time, you become acquaintances. And I would say to Michael, hey, why are you up here? You're practicing just dribble, 
on every floor because we would travel with the team. Free throws, he would shoot from around the free throw line. He would shoot from the three-point line, practice, practice, practice. And he said his coach, and in fact, The Last Dance, which is playing on ESPN now, is a fantastic documentary. He coaches his, I mean, he credits his uh, college coach, Dean Smith at North Carolina, for drilling in a work ethic and practice. And on every floor, you get there and you practice because you've made the shot. So you've practiced a shot. You've made it on that floor. So come game time, you've set yourself up in your mind for success, right? And so that, again, resonated with me that if we work in a new venue, I'm going to try and get there earlier to see the light, practice the light, be very familiar with that room. Like with audio recording, every room has a tone. So, you know, when you go into that room, here's these settings. When we go into the ceremony space, here's these settings. So I'm not figuring it out when the moments are unfolding. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I can't believe you shot Jordan. Oh, man. I photographed. Um, Yeah, photographed Jordan. Uh, Just, that's exciting. And I do want to watch that ESPN special. So let's get into today's shot because, uh, have you seen the parts that have come out so far? I have. I have. And I'm, I'm feverishly watching for me because I sat on the floor underneath the basket. You know, every now and then you get a glimpse. It's reliving and, those and, moments and I still get goosebumps every time I'm watching it because oh. it was it was watching him. He made the team better and he made the teams he was playing against better. So things would happen that you just wouldn't see. One shot that comes to mind is they were playing they're just early on before a championship and him and Charles Barkley were friends, but they were fierce competitors on the field and talk trash all the time. And Michael was just lighting up the floor. And finally the 76ers, this was in Philadelphia threw everybody at him. So it was illegal defense, but five on one. And I got Michael, the whole sequence coming through and this is film black and white five frames per second. And he makes the shot and you see all five of the Sixers around him. And you see Barkley in the background, just like, you yeah. know, and it's stuff like yeah. that. It was just like you, amazing. And you, you, the players today are amazing, but you don't see that electricity like you did during those right. games. Yeah, it's the same. Like I remember as a kid in the 70s, 1974, I think it was, my family took us to see the Lakers when Jerry West was playing clutch. Oh, yeah. And it's that same type of energy that just happens now and then almost once a generation, maybe twice a generation that's that's. Uh, amazing, but that's what makes to me that's that's why almost every style of photography can benefit from a photojournalistic mind or approach. I think I think if you keep in mind telling the story, that is such a key point which you do in today's shot. So I want to get into today's shot. It's a mother yes. cheetah chasing. Is it pronounced a Sten Stenbach? Steenbach. Steenbach are Steenbach. the smallest and of species of the antelope species in Africa. I want, I want to describe this shot. I do this every show. It mm-hmm. fails every time <laughs> because there are some people that are listening on audio. Of course. And I, you'd be surprised how many people say to me, I want to listen first, see if I can picture the shot and then I'll go to the website and look at the shot later. And I, I personally couldn't do that. But for the people who do do that, I try and do you a service and describe this and it's an embarrassing process each and every time. So let me try and describe this, Im- this this image to you. It's pure energy. It reminds me of a scene from an action movie. Like, it. I just went to the wrong scene. I'm so excited. 
it is a wide open frame in this desert landscape. The fact that it was shot with the animals running lower half of the frame, above you see a, a fading off depth of field, you see a bush left and a bush right, but everything has this really nice softness to it behind the two animals. But the animals are magically perfectly spaced between those two bushes. There's a dust cloud coming up. The, the cheetah, the legs are, you know, the back legs are in front of them and the front legs are behind them, all off the ground. The Steenbach, all the legs are off the ground, also kicking up dirt. The way you shot it with open space, it's that phono, photojournalistic thing, right? So you can see from this the, the environment that we're in, right? The quote-unquote space that we're in. The shallow depth of field, by the way, plays really, really well here. Uh, again, dust cloud, both of them off the ground. Just really, really the definition of a wildlife action shot. So let's talk tech first. Sure. You're a Canon Explorer of Light. I'm guessing this was a Canon. Definitely. It was a Canon 1DX Mark II, and this was a 600-millimeter prime lens F4 IS version 2. And exposure-wise, what was your exposure on this? I'm, I'm assuming you shot this manual, right? Or do you shoot like aperture priority? Well, I do use, so I'm either manual or aperture priority, and I do use all the technology available, and I do use auto ISO at certain times. But in a situation like this, or any wildlife, birds in flight, if I could drive home one tip for anybody to get more photographs in I shouldn't say in focus, but sharp, it's don't be afraid to raise the ISO and raise the shutter speed. So leading into this photograph is we were hanging out with these cheetahs and watching them. So even though most of the time they're just laying or their heads are up and they're scanning and they're looking around, I was ready for the sprint. And we're in a safari vehicle with our group and I'm letting people know my settings so people kept asking, what are you staying at? What are you saying? I'm like, shutter speed, shutter speed, shutter speed. So this was a 3,200th of a second. Minimum, I would wow. say, would be 2,500th of a second. We got to have it because even though this is 3,200th of a second, there's still motion in their feet because they are looking, right? So yeah, shutter speed's first. So I, I didn't want to photograph this at F4 as wide open as the lens is. I wanted to get at least... A little bit of depth and, you know, one stop in, lenses are sharper. So that was my theory. I should have been 5.6 or 6.3, but, you know, I was balancing how high do I want to go with shutter speed and aperture. So to get the shutter speed I wanted at aperture 5, we had to have an ISO of 3,200, right? And again, if you expose properly, meaning expose for the shadows, develop for the highlights like film days, we're going to get a beautiful image and no noise. So shutter speed, go for the aperture and get that ISO up to allow you to accomplish those settings. You just reiterated what I tell every new concert shooter, and that is ignore the noise. Just stop worrying about people. You're in Lightroom zooming into 100%. No right. one does that to your no. picture. No one's going to see the noise. And if they do, I always use the example, I'm old enough to remember, Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston. Yes. Black and white image, noisy as heck. And no one looks at that image, image and goes, noisy. 
No one. They look no at one. that image and realize it's great art. Stop worrying no. about it. But you you made a comment. Agree. Agree. You you made a comment that's that's caught me. You said I I probably should have been at at five six or six three. See to me. F5 here worked perfect for the depth of field. Those things are so soft in the background, it falls off. And, and here's the other thing. You see the layering of foreground, midground, background, because at, F, at F5, the bushes in the middle have a certain softness to them, and the real big trees and bushes in the back have even more softness yes. to them. So to me, it's, it's perfect. Where is this? This is in Mashatu Game Reserve in Botswana, Africa. But I, I have to give it up to the technology, and it's even crazier improved now with the 1DX Mark III and the 600 version 3. It's even tighter in terms of locking on the subject and keeping it tracked right. and in focus. And the reason I would have maybe would have liked a little bit more depth of field is purposely I kept the focus mark on the cheetah because to me, that's that's the subject. So the Steenbach is slightly soft, where if I think if I was at 6371, both of them would have been a bit more sharper. But hindsight is 2020. I'm 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 blessed to have captured this scene and to have witnessed this because not many people get to witness unless you're spending, you know, a lot of time in the bush to see animals in pursuit yeah, in I, their I natural habitat. So but I'm I'm not second guessing it. You know, I was at that time, I chose F5, 3200, and, and it worked, you know, but it's practice. So, I wasn't using for the 1DX Mark II the entire field of array of focus marks. I was using the cluster of five. And then when you're active, you can use the joystick to track. And I was actually doing right. that, keeping it in the left third on the cheetah and i just kept it framed that way so the cheetah was always in that left third so it wasn't like you're trying it's like baseball if you're trying to get the picture of the ball coming off the bat when the batter hits it you got to start taking the picture as soon as you see the elbows move so it's the same with the cheetah as soon as her head perked up and she did the crouch it's like okay game on you're just staying on her with two eyes open. Because if you try and watch the Steenbach and watch the Cheetah, you're going to be doing this and this, and you're going to miss. And you're not going to have something in the frame. And then your focus point might jump to the background. So that's where you, I was saying to the folks in the vehicle with us, I'm like, slow down, slow down. Because you could, you could feel the energy getting up as the Cheetahs, you know, they just didn't burst into full speed, there's a crouch because they got to get as close as possible before they pounce. Because the, the secret is, is do your research on whatever subject you're going to photograph. Cheetahs could go amazingly fast straight out. They do not cut very well. Steenbachs and other antelope can't go very fast, very long in a straight line, but they could cut like crazy. So that's why it kind of levels out the playing field a little bit. And so that's why I wanted to stay locked on the cheetah and the Steenbach is going to be in the frame somewhere. It's like a wrestler versus a, a martial artist. It's, it, you know, or a boxer versus a martial artist. They have different skill sets that interact fantastically together. This is a 600, though. Are you on a monopod? I mean, I've held a 400 2.8 handheld, and it's a beast. So how are you stabilizing your lens as you're, as you're panning and tracking? In the vehicle... 
I use a monopod and it has a tilt head on it. So we had amazing guides, which ultimately the animal's well-being and respect comes first. We are at a plenty safe distance. So this is a 600 millimeter lens. This is about, I'm going to guess, a 30% crop in. So the frame's looser, even full frame with the 600, because we want to maintain a safe distance from the animal, allow it to hunt, allow it to be natural, allow the steam buck room to maneuver. So that being said, as soon as the animals take off and it's through that shrubbery, this wasn't all of a clean field of view. At times they were dodging around bushes and then they come out, but you keep your eye to the viewfinder. So what we would do as soon as the vehicle started moving, and I was prepared for this, so I was crouched low on the monopod at first, stabilizing. As soon as the vehicle starts moving, you can't have that monopod on the vehicle because it feels every vibration. Oh, of the yeah. So then it's, you're floating like a boat and you're rising up and you're rising down and you've now got the monopod off the ground and you're laying on the motor drive for those sequences. And we were blessed enough as this was a hunting exercise with the mom teaching her four sub-adult cubs how to hunt. It was a few months our guide was informing us before she would send them out on their own. So she chased down the Steenbach, and you could see it unfold. She told the cubs, you could hear their cackling, stay. And they, they're, they're watching. Mom takes off, catches the Steenbach, and stuns it. And they stun it by asphyxiation. So they grab it by the throat. And cheetahs... All animals are fascinating, but they don't want to draw any blood because the minute the blood gets in the air, the hyenas and lions will come. So at first, they want to choke them, asphyxiate them. So she just choked out, kind of like in uh, wrestling, to get them to tap out. She choked out the steambok to where it was stunned. She calls over the cubs, and the steambok is unconscious. Mama lays down to catch her breath because she's just expended a ton of energy. And the cubs are there. Well, they're like, I don't know what to do. And our and I'm asking our guide, why don't they just pounce on it? And our guide is like, because they're triggered by motion. So mom is laying off to the side. We have all those photographs. She's tapping it on the butt with her with the paw. The steam box wakes up and it's like eyeballs this big, and you're like, oh man. So it slowly moves. And it's just standing there. And the and the young boys are like looking at it. They're sniffing it. Upon it, and it's kind of like a cartoon, slowly walking away, <laughs> and nobody's doing anything. And all of a sudden, the, the Steenbach has got a lead on him, and it's gone. So the the boys all look at each other like this, and Mom's like, "Ah!" Oh. Mom takes off again, so we get another chase, and Mom stuns it again. This time, the Steenbach wakes up. And it says, I'm out of here for sure. So it's sprung. Then the boys were triggered. And then it was game over, so to speak. So it was amazing to witness the teaching and, and the circle of life and how it happened. And it wasn't just one opportunity, but we had three opportunities at a chase. So mom twice and right. then the cubs. It, yeah, wow. How far away are you? Wow. Um, 50, 60 yards away. Easily. Yards, not yeah, feet. 50 yards away. Yeah. So half, you're half football a football field. field away from this thing. We are. We are. One We're not going to be up on them because the guide, again, it would prevent mom from and the cubs from 
possibly getting a meal if we're too close. And again, ultimately, right. it's it's the welfare of the wildlife so that they could survive. There's one thing I saw in the EXIF data that was interesting to me. It showed that you were in manual white balance at 6,000. Why manual? Why not? Because you shoot raw, I'm sure. sure. You can change that in post. Sure. Why lock in your, your white balance? It, it's, it's old school. It goes back to always being edited, whether I'm being edited by an assignment editor or Don. Now, Don will look at things and edit. And the more we can lock down the variables for frame to frame to frame consistency, the better results we get on the back end. Even though Lightroom says you can lift and stamp, it does something funky right, right, right. if you don't have certain settings locked in. So if you're in auto white balance, and at first the cheetahs were in a bright sunny spot, then they run down a little ravine, they're in the shade with the trees, then they come out into into this clearing, which then clouds came over the sun. So now we're in open cloudy bright. So your auto white balance would fluctuate in color tonality right. throughout the entire scene. And I want that entire scene to unfold with consistency. So that if need be, we could have gone right from the camera to the phone and posted it immediately. But, but that still leaves a question though. And that is standard outdoor daylight is 5,500, 5,600 ish, sure. right? Um, 6,000 isn't really getting to cloudy right but it's you know open shade type thing yes you could have chosen 5500 the, the the question still begs to be asked what made you because by the way i should probably state for those of you listening on audio the warm color in this photo is part of what lends it to to you as the viewer knowing the environment that it was in right i mean this could have been a cool day but it gives it a, a different energy, the fact that it's warm. What were you thinking as you chose 6,000, though? Exactly your point. So when we arrive, and I, I do the same approach no matter what I'm photographing. When you arrive in a scene, it's old school days like you're going to rip out a Polaroid and do a test shot. So I now it's live view. It's so convenient and easy. But when we're in the vehicle, I ask our attendees that are with us, we're going to take a test shot. So set it to... Daylight white balance, again, we're no, we know this cheat is going to bolt, so high shutter speed, wherever you're comfortable with, but I'm going 3,200. So then we take a test shot and we look at it. And in this setting on this day, because you're under such a wide open sky, it's very blue, very cool. And Don and I both like warm tone images. So in daylight, there was her fur when you took a test shot when they were sitting on the mound, had a bit of a bluish cast to it. But I wanted the scene to reflect the warmth of the earth and the shrubbery that's there. So that's why I chose to go 6,000 degrees Kelvin. Much more. I tried I, I, I like above that. that. You know, I tried 7,000. And then we started getting reds in her fur that weren't exactly true to tone. So I'm eyeballing it. I'm looking at the scene and I'm looking at my color in live view. What do I like? Now it's like cooking. What's your flavor? What's your taste? Another photographer who was with us, he chose daylight. He likes the cooler tone. He liked the whiter whites on his cheetah photographs. Nothing wrong with that. You know, that's his interpretation no. of that scene. And that's actually a really good point. I'm colorblind. 
Now, luckily, oh. I shoot concerts where you know there is no accurate light, quote unquote, right? Because you've got LEDs and all different kinds of of lighting with different temperatures. But I tend to prefer higher contrast, which I I firmly believe is because I don't see I see color. It's people think I'm black and white. No. I see color. I just see greens and reds and browns and some blues and purples different than other people. Um, so for me, because if I look at a, a, a apple tree, like a photo of an apple tree even, where you have green leaves and red apples, and to other people, those red apples stand out like daylight. There is a color contrast to them. For me, those apples, I can tell the difference, but they kind of hide in the tree. So my natural editing style is to go more contrasty because sure. I don't, I'm not seeing it the same way as other people. And I think it's the same way with warmth, right? We all see differently, just like we all hear differently. So, you know, in, unless you're shooting a product where that Coca-Cola red better be Coca-Cola red, exactly. or unless you're Moose Peterson, who's documenting wildlife and needs the colors of that bird or whatever to be 100% accurate for documentation, Going going warmer is nice. Now, here's the things about this image that stand out to me. First of all, uh, the action is entirely below the center line. And I like that. It gives a weight, right, to the image. So if, you, if you're going to shoot this type of stuff, consider things like that. Oh, Putting indeed. the action down low gives weight to it. Putting the action up high gives a little lift to the image, right? The animals are between the bushes perfectly. It's, it's just really, really well done. I'm curious when you get this into post, what would your normal post routine on a shot like this be? What would you have done to this shot? You already said that you cropped it a fair amount. We did. This is cropped, like I said, about 30, 40% because they're 40, 50 yards away. So we want to come in closer on the action. And I did want to purposely keep them in the lower thirds because you could see in the background all the trees and shrubs. And I didn't want to give more weight to them because then our subject would get lost in the scene. Even though they're sharp and stand out, their tones are very similar by design. The steenbok and the cheetah, they want to blend in with their natural camouflage. You know, the steenbok was walking around for quite a while before the cheetahs noticed it because it was staying next to the warm tone shrubs. And the way it got spotted is it came out into the open, you know, and it's kind of interesting to observe that behavior. So again, those are, those are thought out things. And when we were photographing the actual pursuit, as I shared before, I purposely kept the five focus points in the lower left. So I'm doing my best to keep that cheetah on those focus points and not dead center. Right. When I was younger, well, and that's the other I thing, composition wise, the composition wise, there the cheetahs to the left, the Steenbach is in the middle, and there's room in front of both of them to run, which is a really kind of nice, you know, again, it gives what we call nose room, right? It gives them room to move into. What would you would you have used Lightroom or Photoshop on this or what? We did. We did Lightroom on it and brought it in, adjusted again contrast. Um, it's a raw file, so there isn't any sharpening applied. And in the field, uh, shoot raw, but picture style is either faithful or neutral. So there isn't much contrast or sharpening added, even in a, a JPEG backup. So that's the first two things we would do is crop it. 
and then add a little bit pump up to the whites, bring the blacks down slightly, contrast, and sharpening. And then we would do selective sharpening as well. So the, the global sharpening is done, is applied by a, a preset that Don has created for a sharpening level that we find acceptable. And then you brush in selective sharpening on their face and on the Steenbach. But uh, in Lightroom, if you hold down the option key, and as you're sliding the detail slider, you can see instead of sharpening the entire scene, it refines with the mask down to just an outline of the area you like. So there's no reason to sharpen the entire scene. And then you just brush it in on your subjects. So it gives it that little bit more contrast and pop too to separate them. But you, you want to be really careful that you don't over sharpen it and make it look digital, so to speak. Yeah, it's like it's like. I like clarity and I like the texture slider and I, I at times probably use too much, but I'm hyper aware of it. There's so many shots I look at where I want to look at the creator of the photo and say, step away from the clarity slider, please just back up. Um, so being as how you shoot shots like this, at least for the Africa type stuff and the safari type stuff, obviously not weddings with a 600 F4. That is a that is a new beast in and of itself, and there are people who will rent those. There will there are people who, you know, own even a, a one fifty to three hundred or or a three hundred to six hundred type, you know, Sigma or or Tamron. Do you have any one tip that you would give people to get better shots out of a telephoto like that, an extreme telephoto? Definitely, even if you're using a one hundred to four hundred or. Um, that you brought it up, the fantastic Sigma lens, the 60 to 600 or the 150 to 600. Quite a few people have yep. those when we go on Safari or even when we Which go Which are inexpensive. Birds. You can get those for, I think, a thousand bucks for the regular. It's like 1800 for the sports it, version. It, it's incredible. It is. So the barrier to entry to wildlife has come down extremely low and you can get good quality. So the main thing is stability. So use a monopod if you don't have a tripod with a gimbal. You know, that's what's in the background is my 600 on a gimbal because that's the version one and it's extremely heavy. I think it's 13 pounds. So you're not going to wow. handhold that at all. The version three, on the other hand, is only six pounds. So you can actually handhold Wait, that. Wait, say that again? Short. A 600 is six pounds? Yes, yeah, six and a half pounds. The version three that's out now, it's incredible. Wow. And the IS has improved. Everything about it is, is exponentially improved. So now this past trip in uh, April, I had the version three last year, April. So you can actually handhold it and turn and move so easily. And then when you want, I have the quick release. If you know you're going to be there for a while, use the monopod. The second tip is... High shutter speed. Again, going back to don't be afraid of the ISO. If you're photographing birds, for example, in your own backyard, it's a great place to practice. And small birds are even better for your timing, panning, because the smaller the bird is, the faster they move. So again, the smaller they are, the higher your shutter speed. An eagle, you could get away with 1250, 1600 on your shutter speed and get a tack sharp image. Now, a sparrow, a robin, a cardinal, something like that, you better be over 2,500th of a second because they move that fast. 
And if you're on a monopod, that gives you the flexibility to move and be stable because as we have a tendency when you're photographing and that magnification at 600, 300 millimeter magnifies any motion you introduce, you're now steady on a platform and you could pan with it. And as we get excited, sometimes people are mashing their shutter button, introducing motion that way. And even though we have image stabilization, What happens at higher shutter speeds is you'll notice you might start getting soft photographs. And what I've seen happen is, for example, this photograph with the cheetah, I turned image stabilization off because the shutter speed is so fast, you can catch that floating element moving and you get these little fringes around the edges of things that look just soft, just awkward. And what you're doing is the shutter is actually catching that element moving. Now, I don't know anything about uh, in-body image stabilization and how that will be improved because Canon is just introducing it with the R5. Which I saw the body under glass at WPPI and I'm, I'm anxious to actually play with one. If you were to Tell people one photographer that they should be following that they may not know about. Who would you say? For wildlife, hands down, I mean, there's the people that you always hear about, but but Charles Glitzer, Jazz Glitzer, and not just because he's a canon explorer of light, but he has a passion for empowering people to set them up for success, to share the settings with them, and his wildlife work is just amazing and beautiful. He's someone, I follow him often, and I look at his work all the time and notice what he's doing. And we have the same mindset, meaning same light, same exposure, same color, lock it all in, eliminate those variables. Because it even happened when we were in Africa, people were like, well, I'm going to do auto ISO because the bird is here on the branch. I get one camera setting. And then when it flies up to the sky, I get another camera setting. But then I had to ask him, I'm like, okay, let's think about it this way. There's no clouds in the sky. The light is not changing. Same light, same exposure, meaning the light that's on the bird here on a branch with a tree behind it is the same light when the bird is in the sky. Now, if you listen to the suggestion that the camera makes when the bird flies up to the sky, your bird is going to lose detail, but you're going to have a perfectly exposed sky. And then in post-production, you're going to be trying to see detail in the feathers. And when you over brighten or over dodge things, that's when we introduce noise. So it goes back to old school. If you have a light meter with an incident dome on it, hold it in front of you. Same light falling on that dome is the same if the bird is on the ground or if the bird is in the sky. Same thing with the cheetah. It was the same reading when it was on the mound with the sky behind them as it is here as they're running down through the uh, shrubbery and this sandy area. Same light, same exposure. Well, I got to say, I dig your work. Uh, not just your Africa work, but your wedding work, everything that you and Don do. And actually, even just the non-photographic stuff, watching you two on stage at WPPI was kind of magic. Uh, I'm on stage often And now and then you see people that because of their knowledge, they end up on stage, but they're not necessarily great speakers. And you and Don, when you got on stage, there's like this, there's a reason the room was full, right? There's like this magic 
that kind of happens uh, between the two of you. So uh, just wonderful to watch and wonderful to see you again, my friend. And hopefully when all this, we're recording this during quarantine, for all I know, by the time it's released, we could be all free. Hard to say, but oh, free, that's straight. Uh, but I hope I get to see the two of you again. And please do tell your wife hello for, for my wife and I. I sure will. And I am blessed to work with her because we balance each other out extremely well. I can't imagine running your business as a sole person, a photographer, where you have to be the creative, you have to be the marketing, you have to be the business, you have to be the editing. I mean, look, even Ansel Adams and other great photographers, the great light photographers, they would shoot and then they had the amazing lab at life. And even Ansel at a time, he would have his darkroom print masters work with him that he would make a print, one master print, and then they would print other images and master print off copies for him. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. And I, something went south, so to speak, when we entered this digital realm that we had to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, so again, thank you so very much for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your work. Uh, your lower thirds with your website, your Instagram, your Facebook, and your Twitter have been popping up as we've been talking. But for those on audio, let's just go through. Your website is bobanddondavis.com. Instagram and Facebook, both Bob and Don Davis. Twitter is Bob and Don. So everybody go follow them give them some love and uh, trust me, you're going to love what they do. And they do the safari workshops. And so you can follow them on that. You've got a Facebook page dedicated to workshops. Am I, am I right? Yes. So anything that's not related to weddings is going to be Bob Davis on Facebook and on Instagram, it's Bob and Dawn underscore in the wild, because we want to, you know, kind of keep the two worlds a little bit separate. Someone that wants to hire us for portrait or event work, necessarily doesn't want to look at wildlife. And on the website, uh, behindtheshot.tv, you will find a little thing I wrote about Bob and Don, and you'll find all of the links that we've mentioned or that show up during the show. Uh, you'll also find a small gallery of their work varying between wedding and wildlife and a little bit of everything that you can find up there. So make sure you head to behindtheshot.tv and check that out. Make sure that you check out Don Komarechka and I doing the uh, Behind the Shot critique shows. You can see those streamed live on YouTube or you can go to YouTube and watch past episodes. Now, if you want to get in on those, go over to Flickr, join, can be the free account, sign up and uh Join the Behind the Shot group on Flickr, submit your images to that group. And here's the key point. We don't pull any image out of the group. It's possible you just want to contribute to the group for conversation's sake, but you don't really want to critique. And I don't want to do that to somebody. So if you want your image critiqued, it not only has to be in the Behind the Shot group on Flickr, you have to tag it, BTS critique, all one word, not a hashtag. Flickr has their own tagging system. So put a Flickr tag, BTS Critique. That puts it in the pool that we draw from. Again, as always, thank you to my guest. I'm Steve Brazel, your host. If you want to reach out to me anywhere, you can find all my social media links on the website at BehindTheShot.tv or at SteveBrazel.com. And uh, my Instagram and my Twitter is really where I spend most of my time. It's at Steve Brazel. It's like the country Brazil, 
but it's two L's. And periodically I'm on Facebook, but in all honesty, I'm not a big fan of Facebook. So Steve Brazel Photography, if you want to go over to Facebook. To everybody, as always, thanks for joining us. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer like Bob and Don Davis and uh, get an insight to what they're thinking when they make their shot, why they make the choices that they do. We'll see you on the next show. This is Behind the Shot. Thank you.